Hungry Trilobite Podcast would like to acknowledge conventions such as WeedonCon. WeedonCon is a fan-generated charity event for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Firefly, and all Joss Whedon creations. It is scheduled for October of 2020 and is held in Los Angeles, California. Portion of the proceeds benefit the Los Angeles LGBT Center as well as the Ron Glass Memorial Scholarship. See details at WeedonCon.com. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Aaron Bossig. Today we have a returning guest, Dr. Aaron McDonald, who you originally saw in episode 13. You might want to go back and listen to that episode just to kind of make sure you have a background on her. And there are going to be a few references to that earlier chat, but nothing that really gets in the way of the conversation. So if you want to go listen to episode 13, go right ahead. And if you want to get started right away, let's get right to it. Welcome back, Dr. Aaron McDonald. How are you doing this fine morning? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm really happy to be back. I'm glad to have you back. We got the talking because we met through Star Trek and your work as a general science fiction, uh, science consultant on science fiction series. And then I got into your book, The Science of Sci-Fi, and yeah. had a fantastic time with it. Uh, for the, the benefit of anybody who doesn't know, it's a collection of lectures on the Greater Courses series which was recompiled into an audio book. Uh, I think I have that right. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. And I, it, it's a fantastic read, um, and I had a great time with it. And I want to, if anybody's on the fence about trying to pick this up and get into it, I strongly encourage you to because it's a very accessible but still very detailed book. And I very rarely read one that pulls both off at the same time. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really tried to make sure that this was good uh, content for an audience who is coming in with very little background in science or physics or hasn't taken it in a long time. And yet, you know, it can still be understandable. It can still be accessible. And we get into some deep stuff with multiverse theory yes. and general relativity. <laughs> but I, I'm i glad to hear it sounds like I pulled it off. So thank yeah, you. Because um, I read these books not infrequently, and I tend to find that they're either so rudimentary that, I don't want to say I feel like I'm wasting my time, but it's like, I, I've already covered that. Or it's like somebody written for you was like, okay, you actually get this stuff, and you're, I, I'm not at that point. So, but it hits me right in the sweet spot there. Good. I'm very glad to hear that. Thank you. Sure. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things I want to get into here, and I, I'm going to strongly encourage, again, anybody, please read the book, because I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, start from the beginning here. That's your job. You wrote it. Um, but for some, somebody who's actually read it, I really like how that it connects a whole bunch of things, uh, ideas like the, the, the Marvel multiverse, and it connects uh, a lot of Star Trek, a lot of Star Wars, a lot of things like Mass Effect, the gravity guns. The, gra the whole thing is basically... Uh, using gravity as a character and getting to know gravity better. That's the way I, I would phrase it. That's a great way of phrasing it. Yeah, I try to kind of warn people up front with this series and, yeah, made it pretty clear that the first couple episodes are pretty deep in the background in the 
origin of gravity, how it was conceptualized from Newton and then moving on to Einstein and how our understanding of gravity has evolved over time. But then, yeah, once we lay that foundation, then we get to play with it and we get to go into all of our favorite fandoms and video games and movies and and see Mm -hmm. where that pops up and how we can utilize that. So thank you. Sure. Um, I... You, you mentioned string theory a couple of times. It's not the, the bulk of it, but it's something that, that popped out in my head. And it's like, I got to ask about this. <laughs> you really go into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I, I like that, but I'm a DC guy at heart. Okay, gotcha. And when you're talking about different, uh, pretty much every particle in the world being a function of vibration, and then the, my head says, the DC multiverse is explained through different planets that are separated by vibration. And I look at it and it's like these, the DC multiverse and string theory came up at about the same time in history. Do you see a connection there? Yeah, I absolutely do. I think that that's a great, a great connection to make. And you're right because they kind of evolved around the same time. And a lot of that is because with, as you said, with string theory, the idea is is, they, is you get smaller and smaller. You break down our atoms into protons and neutrons, and then you can break those down into um, quarks and these fundamental building blocks. And then the string theory kind of takes that one step further and says that those are made up of these, you know, single dimensional strings. So that's kind of where that string comes from, this idea mm-hmm. that they're one dimensional and that they vibrate into another, into the second dimension. And then how they vibrate is what makes up all these different particles. And as scientists were coming up with this concept, they realized that it's, you know, we're suddenly not limited in the number of dimensions we have as they start breaking it down. I think different Flavors of string theory kind of take it in different directions. The most kind of commonly utilized one has broken our universe into maybe 11 dimensions as they go into all of how these strings vibrate and how they interact with each other. Whereas we only, you know, our our puny human selves only interact with uh, four dimensions of uh, three in space and one in time. And that there's these, you know, seven dimensions on top of that that we just haven't tapped into. Um, But other string theory does does postulate even further than that, going into many more dimensions beyond that. And that's where I think that that multiverse theory comes in. Um, So I like that a lot. I do I do kind of um, I do like how sometimes we can date science fiction based on the type of science that they're utilizing to tell their stories based on what's popular at the time. You'll find a lot of um, superconductors showing up in science fiction that was written in the 80s as, -hmm. you know, this end-all, be-all cool technology thing. And then, as you mentioned, with string theory, as that was sort of entering the public lexicon then we start seeing that manifest a little bit in science fiction. And and since, you know, the Large Hadron Collider was built and some of these tests for string theory haven't quite borne out, it started to kind of leave the pop culture world in the same way that it's kind of fading into the background a little bit in the scientific world. Um, but it's, it's really interesting to dig into all of that. It's a neat connection. It really was. And it's like I'm looking at this and I... You read these stories from the 60s through the early 70s. It kind of peters off after that. Um, and and you're they're saying, well, we have this treadmill we run on to get from one to the other. And it sounds so silly. It sounds like your typical hokey 60s comic sense. Like, yeah, but, but there's actually, in their perspective, a nugget of truth to this. Which right. Is crazy. 
Yeah, I really like that. And there's, I like to, you know, when people say like, can you explain multiverse theory to me? <laughs> it's kind of like, well, how long do you have? Because there's lots of different yeah. types of multiverses that we can dig into. Um, you talk about quantum multiverses, this idea that as you make decisions, new universes spawn where you made other decisions. Um, these infinite multiverse theories or these bubbles where, you know, if you think of like a bubble bath where you have isolated bubbles, bubbles that are touching each other, all of those are individual universes. And sometimes you can travel in between the ones that have their membranes touching. So all there's just so many cool, fun multiverse theories out there and science fiction uses them in so many different ways. It's really fun. It is. And I, I love how you got into the, this is something that people always get really excited about. Well, what if there's another universe where this, you, the, you made a different decision and that you dealt with the consequences of that. And I always come in from the perspective that people will use the phrase, the great thing about science is that it's true whether you believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Science, science doesn't care about you. Yeah. So then I have a conflict. It's like, but how is there a whole universe that depends on whether or not I had coffee this morning? You, you really can't have it both yeah. ways. That's really interesting. And then that starts to get into that philosophical side of science mm -hmm. where it becomes more like what is free will and where, you know, what um, what is dictating our daily choices. And then you get that chaos theory element to it. Um, it's really, really cool. That's a that's a neat way of thinking about it. I, I tend to uh, I, I don't know, just I, like I said, as somebody who gets it enough to read the books, but not enough <laughs> to make a living at it. I, I really, I, I, that's where I come from because, you know, I don't have to do the math. I can just read comic books. That's kind of what I'm good at. That works. <laughs> you know, enough to be dangerous. That's exactly. 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 Right. Yep. Um, but okay. So another thing that you picked up on that so many people usually don't when I get into this, uh, we talk about time travel. And when you said, if you were to go just one second in the future, your body is in a physically different space than it would be a second earlier because of the rotation of the Earth and the movement of the galaxy. You know, basically, you're just in a different space. What about the other situation? What if you were in the same space as something else? Have Has that really been looked at as to what would happen if you were suddenly forced into a space where something else exists? That's really interesting. I, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of any specific stories that have done that. But I do, I mean, but we have seen things like time travel accidents have i'm trying to think if it was specifically time travel or or going more into general theoretical ways of traveling like whether mm -hmm. it was faster than light or some sort of quantum slipstream drive that you know they you come out of warp per se and you've ended up merged with something by accident mm -hmm. you know we had some like original star trek original series type storylines where you know, they're where they're getting more into this idea of helm and navigation and avoiding planets and avoiding dropping out of warp at the wrong position. But I think with time travel, I mean, I feel like there was some when we were getting a lot of films like Looper and I'm just going Bruce Willis films, but like 12 Monkeys and Looper and all of those. I feel like they did some of that where you get splinched in between when you're time traveling. So part of you gets like left behind and part of you's you know, torn in your in your other universe, but not off the top of my head. I think that's a really fascinating idea that <laughs> maybe instead of going 
one second into the future, maybe you go test it by a minute and a half and you end up half embedded in the moon or something. Yeah. <laughs> it, all, it all depends on how you're time traveling and if your atoms are being split apart when you travel and how you're being recombined. That's uh, that's fun to think about. I'm sure that stuff exists. I just can't think of these examples off the top of my head. I can't think of one. I can think of a one that's halfway there. Um, in the episode, the Pegasus, where the ship is phased and then it rephases in the middle of solid rock. Oh, yeah. And and that, I guess that's close. But, I mean, if we're talking about you literally didn't exist in this time and then suddenly you do. And that's, I guess, why I'm bringing up because I'm not sure if there's a distinction I should be making there. No, and I, but I, yeah, I think it really comes down to how the time travel technology is working. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that it has to do with how it's splitting you apart and recombining you back together. Um, and yeah, that, I mean, I kind of love this idea that you rematerialize at some point in the past or the future, and then you just kind of got it wrong. And mm -hmm. because you were not thinking there was a house there, and then you rematerialize and there is a house there, uh, that you're now halfway stuck in the walls or something. That's Maybe that's what ghosts are. Maybe it's all I, just failed time travel. <laughs> I've actually played with that idea, and there are some, there's some ghost research is that okay if I use that word? Because yeah, that's okay. fine. Yeah. Okay. Because um, I'm uh, full disclosure, I have no problem believing in ghosts. For as much as I am on board with science, and that's something I might want to talk about maybe a little later, mm -hmm. I am totally on board with ghosts because reasons. But um, there are cases where people believe they see ghosts, and they believe they see a specific situation that occurred at that spot mm -hmm. years prior. Right. And, and that's where I'm like. That's that might they you might not be seeing a dead person. You might be seeing a living person at a different point in time through some means that we can't comprehend. Yeah. And I think, you know, where where I come into that, I think that I it's interesting being a scientist because mm -hmm. the way that you're trained is to rely on evidence, um, mm -hmm. to rely on repeatability, this idea that you can, you know, have evidence you can go you can repeat this experiment or you can see the phenomenon repeated in a similar way with a similar you know um with a similar behavior and in that side of things that squashes all kind of paranormal you mm -hmm. know beliefs when you when you rely on that but then also as a scientist you're also trained to have an open mind and realize that there is so much to the universe that we don't understand and that um and that we have so much more to learn that we're only seeing a fraction of our universe so being a scientist is also incredibly humbling and also requires you to keep an open mind if you if you don't have an open mind then you're going to kind of be a crappy scientist because you have to be willing to um to have things happen that weren't expected. And then I think, you know, and I agree too, that a lot of people's kind of experience or, or um, understanding and acceptance of paranormal activity, as it were, uh, is, is so very personal. It's just, mm -hmm. it's very personal. And, um, and so, again, that's when you kind of delve into that philosophy and almost like a, a faith-based type, type discussion where it's like, that's not my place to challenge your experiences mm -hmm. um because that's what you experienced i think it's just as then as the scientific brain it's just where it comes into proof so it's it's the type of conversation you're having where we can that's can delve into that fantastic way to put it um and i had a i started this conversation a little bit with two other guests one being a psychic the other being a ghost hunter and i want to 
tr- use the best term I can. He was a, I call legitimate ghost hunter in that he at least tried to apply a consistent method. Hesitate to call it the scientific method because there's a very specific meaning to that. I don't want to, but he's like, he tried to use reason and deduction as best he could. And there are ghost hunters who don't do that. I'm not going to put them in the conversation. Um, right. But um, what I said to them was, if you're in a situation where you've had this experience, you, it's already happened. It's in the past. It's done. And you can't explain it rationally. You can't say the experience didn't happen. Right. So as a scientist, as somebody who wants, you can say, okay, the experience happened. If we were to draw a conclusion from little information, like, you know, somebody told me something about that using information they could have only gotten from somebody who's passed away. Mm-hmm. That's happened. I don't want to draw the conclusion that it's a ghost. Right. But I can say what would have to be true in order for that to have happened? Where could they have gotten information from? And I'm not going to come up with a great list, but I can come <laughs> up with a list. Yeah, yeah. Totally. No, I think that that's that's a really good good kind of way of putting it. Is that you you still have to acknowledge that these ex, um, experiences have happened. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, it's it's really interesting because my father is like one of the least, uh, I would say, open minded people when it comes to paranormal any sort of. I mean, he can't even watch science fiction because he's mm-hmm. just like this is just outrageous and science doesn't. You know, he's just, he's a hardcore scientist and can't get past that um but he he had had a weird experience and i think seeing him go through that and then seeing him just kind of be like look it was weird i can't explain it that's all i'm getting into that's all you know because i can't that's valid yeah and i'm not gonna try to speculate because i don't believe it beyond that but i can't deny that this weird experience did happen to me so yeah yeah. and and that's I, i completely respect that point of view where it's like this is what I can tell you, and I'm not going to venture beyond that. And there are people who will, because that's how mm-hmm. I'm going to say that's how science works, is that you say, okay, can't explain it. What can we explain? Can we get from point A to point B? Right, exactly. Yeah, it's um, it's really interesting. It's really interesting to take these approaches and to have these conversations with people. I love it. Personally, and, I love it. I knew you would because you're an X-Files fan, and you can't... <laughs> You can't be a scientist and an X-Files fan and not have at least a little bit of a sense of humor. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> that's that's where it all got started. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I used to watch those specials and a lot of it I still was like, okay, this is obviously crap because I've, you know, I've grown since then. I see it, but then the more, there's that 10% of things that's like, no, there's something to this. <laughs> Don't yeah, know exactly. what it is, but there's something to it. On the spectrum of Scully to Mulder, I think some days I'm more in a Scully mindset, some days I'm more in a Mulder mindset, but I think we sure. all have that spectrum between us, and we just have to acknowledge which side is talking to us. Mm-hmm. That's, But that's why that show was so successful, is because that they played with that duality where, as a viewer, you were jumping between the two characters you're going this is ridiculous there's no way this is true and then you're kind of like well maybe i mean that's pretty convincing so (laughs) i love that and for the most part there were very few episodes of that show where at the end you could say definitively who was right yeah for sure i mean they really do a great job i rewatched uh the pilot recently and they just did a phenomenal job about bouncing back and forth of going okay this is clearly the explanation and then leaving you with things that have happened that are super weird. And then they're right at the cusp of kind of getting definitive evidence for all of this. And it disappears. And then, mm-hmm. and you, and you, the viewer are left behind going, I can't tell you what 
exactly happened. I love now, that. I love it. Yeah. And it, to do that consistently for that many years on end. <laughs> no kidding. It was, it, awesome. it, it was like, and to swing back to your book for a minute, you mm-hmm. did a, a really neat job on that when you start off and you talk about dark energy. And you basically, I, I try not to put words in your mouth. That's okay. Basically say, here's a thing. We have a name for it. We know next to nothing else about it. Yeah. That that's that, that's this in, in microcosm is that you're saying, okay, something's happening. We've got a name we can give it. Beyond that, don't ask any questions. Yeah, and it's really it's crazy. And I, this is you know uh, as to, I always try to kind of convey to people because I think space intrigues so much of the population that we never lose that 10 year old inside of us who is obsessed with space and dinosaurs because it's just it's intriguing cool stuff but as an astrophysicist you as you get into studying space you really constantly live in an existential crisis because you have to shift your mindset of time scales. You have to shift your mindset of what's important. You know, this idea that the universe is 14 billion years old, our solar system's only been around for 4 billion years. And, you know, humanity is that fraction. I love the, um, you know, there's a few great demonstrations at science museums for the scale of humanity with respect to the time of our entire universe. That humanity is only if you if you break our universe down to the calendar year, our humanity's only been around since 11:59 p.m. on New Year's Eve. You know, <laughs> at the end of the year. Um, but then, but then on top of that, understanding that we everything we touch feel see experiment on interact with is four percent of our entire universe that it's four percent is what we that whole periodic table everything when we look up at the stars we are only seeing and interacting with four percent of our universe you know the other approximate 25 23 ish percent is dark matter and that is the stuff that we can see, quote, see gravitationally. We can see that there's more stuff there based on orbits, based on light getting bent around. There's this gravitational presence there that we, that's the most that we know about it. Um, and then the rest of it, almost three quarters, is just that energy that's pushing our universe apart. And we just don't know where it comes from. And we don't know what it is. We don't know what's causing it. But we know our universe is being pushed apart by dark energy. And that's it. And and, and it's humbling. It's scary. It's weird. <laughs> and it's also great fodder for science fiction. It really is. And, and, <laughs> uh, and just to, to really play with the, the science fiction aspect, I mean, you talked about... Uh, locating yourself in the universe and having a cosmic address and uh when you get to the tail end of that you're like what if you could just go to a different universe entirely and that doesn't come up that often i guess for reasons but there have been a couple cases where it did on say star trek where they get thrown in the, the early episode where no one has gone before where they just go off to some place that is like cotton candy yeah Cotton candy and sparkles. And uh, do you get any science out of that or do you just sit back and enjoy the pretty lights? I mean, for the most part, we sit back and enjoy the pretty lights. The most that I've done to science any sort of extra universe in Star Trek is the the mirror universe, because Mm -hmm. I think that that is a 
multiverse concept that while they never really get into it in Star Trek, it's one that still conceptually kind of makes sense. It's this idea that we have our universe that we're in. And again, yeah, as you said, that encompasses everything that's beyond our galaxy. That's that's all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just multiply it all by minus one. You know, and you know, we've seen that also going back into the DC universe and, and all of these that you have the evil universe. Mm-hmm. And that just comes from this idea that mathematically just multiply everything by minus one, flip it over. We have, you know, the upside down as we had in Stranger Things. And so uh, that's kind of where you can pull that multiverse or that uh, mirror universe thread from. And uh, but that's the most science I've ever done on on multiverse in and traveling between universes in Star mm-hmm. Trek because it's just fun. But I mostly so, look at the pretty lights. <laughs> and that's fine. I think that's all you're intended to do there. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I always just like feel like when they do something like that uh, or, or like the episode where they brought in the traveler and they just take a joy ride to, or even to less, when Q just flings the enterprise into the Delta quadrant and they meet the Borg, it's like, okay, we have this show where we spend every week going to a different planet and solving whatever problem they have that week. But every once in a while, we're just going to kick it up to 11 and take it totally out of even that realm. Yeah. And yes, I just, we're in, we're in magic mode at that point. Yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, but I think, you know, as a and that's where kind of transitioning but talking about my job as a science consultant, that's now that, that's the job where you have to take the back seat. We're not there we're not there to drive a scientific story. We're there to tell a story. And if we have a chance to embed some science in it, great. If we want Q to show up and snap his fingers and jump them somewhere else, Mm-hmm. Fine. If we want some, you know, alien energy space whale that's floating around outside of the Enterprise, fine. You know, that's that's the stuff that because that's the story we want to tell. It doesn't always need to be rooted in science. For me, that just makes me happy and I'm I'm happy to contribute to stuff. But my role mostly is to just make sure that when we're adding science or technobabble, it's not wrong. Um, and that's sometimes hard. You fight those demons. I want to explain why Q can snap his finger and jump somewhere else, but I just can't. You can't, and uh, like like we said in the last episode, you were on there. Q is basically the embodiment for literal magic. There's not (laughs) really a meaningful explanation for him, and nobody, I don't think, really wants there to be. Yeah, agreed. I agree. Yeah, I think that would take away the the whimsy of Q. Mm -hmm. I, I like the, there was that episode of Voyager where he brought Janeway to the continuum and they just had those other cue with these very over-the-top props. <laughs> and it's like, I think this is as close as we want to get to a real explanation. It works for the moment. Right, right. And I think that's where everyone was like, and okay, I think we're good. <laughs> okay, so let's go this route here. Um, we're just talking about this and, and I... We get into the magic aspect again, and I love how the fact that I twice in a row I've had a scientist on and I'm bringing up magic because that's just how my brain works. Why is it that we try so hard to make science fiction science-based, and we try so hard to play with these hard concepts, and we're just aching to go into the realm of bullshit? (laughs) Why do we have this compulsion? That's so funny. Um, You know, I... 
I think that why we love and rely and want to have science in our science fiction is because ultimately what draws us to science fiction is that it shows us a vision of the future that, you know, typically it tends to show us a vision of a future or what our lives could be. Mm-hmm. And part of us wants to get there. You know, the reason that we were reading, even going all the way back, you know, to Heinlein and Asimov and all of those, the reason they were compelling is because for better or worse, it was still a possible future for humanity. And so embedding science into that and embedding real science into that plants those seeds that makes us think that we could get there someday and allows that to continue to be aspirational and um and without that if it's all just pure magic if we have you know i we, we joke a lot i i do need to say up friend i am very much a star wars fan and a star trek fan i love them mm-hmm. both they have places in my heart different places in my heart but we don't talk about star wars as a society in the same way we talk about star trek because and i think this is because Star Wars very clearly sets itself as a hero's journey fantasy story that's set in space. It's a space opera in another galaxy far, far away. It is not meant to be humanity's future. It's not meant to be a world that we as a humanity could ever reach, could ever be a part of. We just like to embed ourselves in it. And in classic hero's journey fashion, we see those tropes and those archetypes that we want to be a part of and we want to embody. But that's as far as we go with it. But when we talk about Star Trek, you get people, you know, like myself and many countless others who became engineers, who became scientists, um, who became leaders, who joined the military because they wanted to be in Starfleet. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you didn't have people becoming engineers because they wanted to be Jedis. Like that's, you know, those are two very different things. But Star Trek consciously, and I think this goes all the way back to Gene Roddenberry bringing on, you know, buddies from Raytheon to help do the writing. They wanted it to be a vision of the future. And that's why we are so tempted to put good real science into it. Um, and that's and that's where my role has come in. And my role has been around, like I said, since Gene Roddenberry to try to embed the science. But, you know, the fact that they have that the franchise as a whole still is employing people to bake in science into Star Trek is because they recognize that the fans love it, that that this is part of the heart and soul of Star Trek and um, and and extended to science fiction is in general. Agreed. And, and that's once in a while, somebody will ask me, what's the difference between Star Trek fans and Star Wars fans? And you hit it pretty well there. I'll, I'll say something to the effect of, well, Star Trek teaches you that humans are capable of better things. We have a better future on our horizon. So sit down and to, to use the, the, uh, the, <clears throat> the stereotype, sit in your mom's basement until it gets here. <laughs> I'm okay with that stereotype. <laughs> yeah, I have to, because, you know, I, I get it. We all, we all came from there, but here's the thing. We're self-aware. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. But you're really taught that the world we're in right now is not as good as it's going to get. But Star Wars fans, they're looking at this story about this guy who's in an oppressive world that is, he's, you know, there's a war going on. It's been going on since before he was born. It's probably going to go on long after he's dead. 
that's it's a crummy world, and that's the world that he's in now. So make the best of it. Get together with your big furry buddy and and his scuzzy friend and you know the the, the cute girl who I don't know maybe she, I don't know but you know just have an adventure here and now because that's the best you're going to get. Yeah, and those are just two completely different mindsets. Absolutely. I mean, it's to boil it down, it's in the names. Just yeah. bring down Star Wars and Star Trek. Those are two different names. <laughs> oh, I just figured. I, oh my lord, I, that's so simple, and yet it works so well. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's you know but it is so funny like when i because people ask kind of how i got into this industry and how it because it's not a rule it's not a job you apply for necessarily mm-hmm. it's something that kind of comes out of the direction you take things but i got started by giving science talks at sci-fi conventions and the were broad strokes it wasn't even star trek that got me started in these it was mass effect that i just Mm -hmm. had an opportunity to give a talk on the science behind mass effect and there was like you know 10 times the capacity of the room showed up for this talk because we love this idea that these science fiction worlds could be reality someday and i think as fans we are just desperate to find the threads that we can draw from our current life to that life and how we could possibly get there one day. I just want to be in Starfleet Academy. <laughs> and I think I'm as close as I'm ever. I have, I got a, a gift. It was like a license plate frame, you know, that says Starfleet Academy faculty member. And I'm like, I'm, I'm as close to that as I'm ever going to get. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> You know what? We are closer than we've ever been. We have the ability to bring in and get take part in ways that we never could. And the, the best analogy I can think of at the moment is not everybody in the Air Force flies airplanes. Not everybody in the Air Force even steps on an airplane. We still need the people to change the oil and to file the paperwork and just to check the weather to see what it's going to be like when they take off. That's the people like you and me. That's a really good analogy. Yeah, that's a really good comparison. I think that's something people fundamentally understand. And uh, yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I I mean, it's great. I I love that we now have lower decks where it's like we're showing the people who don't get the great jobs. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Part of me, this is not going to fly with the general public. Part of me would like to tell the story of the guy who signs up for Starfleet Academy and does fairly well going through it. And he gets stationed on Earth and just files paperwork all day. And he just talks about how he just wants to do something else. But darn it, somebody needs to file those papers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's a, but that's why I think Lower Decks works so well. And, mm-hmm. you know, what? they had a line from one of the ep- recent, uh, I think it was the second episode, where Boimler was just like, I'm just going to go work on an asteroid and, like, take data and someone will find my personal logs one day when I'm dead and they're going to piece together what happened. <laughs> and it was like, there are people like that in Star Trek. We just don't see those stories. And so I love that we're expanding beyond the bridge and i just yeah it's very close to my heart <laughs> yeah it's like, a, like the first episode where the captain asks so do you keep a personal log he's like yeah i keep five a day implying that there are people who don't keep personal logs because who cares <laughs> right exactly <laughs> and then of course the response from the captain being like that's too many yeah, <laughs> like yeah. you still can't do it right <laughs> Yeah, a lot of really great thoughts in a row there. For sure. I love it. 
<laughs> I could, I do have to preface. I mean, I will. I love Lower Decks. And this is, it's like when I meet people who love Galaxy Quest, mm-hmm. I will nonstop quote it. So it's like, I do have to stop myself because it's like, I just love every single joke, every single line. And once you get me started, I will just keep going until we've exhausted ourselves. <laughs> like you just said. We are self-aware, okay? We love this, and we can love it so much we embrace the things that make no sense at some point. Exactly, exactly. I, I mean, that's the whole concept of fandom taking over people's lives, man, but that not that a good thing? I mean, isn't it great that we dedicate ourselves to something even fictional that is good for us, good for the world? Yeah, it, you know, yeah, I, I agree, and I think... I personally, you know, we all have our own journeys with these franchises. We all have our own stories. And for me, you know, I I wasn't raised in a household that was, you know, filled with comic books and Star Trek collectibles. And mm-hmm. it just wasn't a world that I was exposed to. And my uncle was the one who kind of got me to go to Comic-Con in the 90s and took me to Renaissance festivals and all of that. And that's when I, I was like, this is in my blood. This is <laughs> These are my people. This is my mm-hmm. jam. But even then, I struggled with it for so long and then going on and and trying to find that balance and trying to accept that part and realize that there were other people like me out there. And then, you know, even going so far as to having got married and then getting divorced and then, you know, meeting someone who walked into my room and saw uh, a uh, Millennium Falcon rug and a Starfleet uniform and was like, this is awesome. This is like, we are all out there. And that's why I think, you know, that's why these in-person conventions will always hold a special place, even though we're obviously we're able to do so much virtually now. Um, we're all still itching to go to greet each other in person and and share these experiences because it's so nice to share it with people and and as as we've been saying we are all self-aware and we are all mm-hmm. so accepting and it's you know there is very very little gatekeeping i think gatekeeping this idea that you're not a true fan if blank um there's not that much out there i think that tends to have a louder voice than actually exists i think 95 percent of the fandom is just like awesome you like Mm -hmm. which series yeah that one okay if that's all you know that's still great let's talk about that (laughs) yeah i I agree and i had a bad experience with that this particular week so it's a little fresher in my mind than it normally is but i i agree that the conventions are fantastic and the bigger conventions they, they tend to have this feeling that you just created your own community for 48 hours of a place with all of your people. And it just feels like it works. Yeah, it really does. It really, really does. It's a very magical experience. And yeah, I'm just, I cherish every moment of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's like, and, and not only that, when you're in that situation, even when you're not talking about your fandom, you're in this place of like a thousand, two thousand, how many thousand people who just want to have a good time for 48 hours. Yeah, yeah, for real. And you don't get that anywhere else. I know, you really don't. You really don't. And you see people's personalities shift, and you see people start to be more comfortable with themselves because finally for those 48 hours, they can wear their Starfleet uniform and they can go around and share these stories and bond over that. You know, for me, one of my favorite experiences was my first Star Trek Las Vegas. And I was Mm -hmm. so nervous because I was speaking at it and I was, it was my first like 
pure Star Trek event. And I was so nervous. I had stress dreams for weeks leading up to it that I was going to be called out as a fraud that I was like, you know, and um, and I gave my talk, killed it, got to go meet Kate Mulgrew, have her have her. um have her sign a photo that we had together. Um, I went and got a Starfleet tattoo because I was in Vegas and I was going to go get that up. For people don't know, I'm covered in tattoos. So it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was for me. And then right from getting that tattoo, this is all in the same like three hour period, right from getting that tattoo, I went back down to chill out in the back of the big hall. And that's when Patrick Stewart surprised everyone with a Picard announcement. And I was done. My emotional cup had runneth over. And mm-hmm. I was just, my head in my hands, my shoulders bandaged. I'm holding the sign picture. And I was just weeping. But I was not the only one. And that collective emotional experience is just fabulous. I I hold it very close to my heart. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um there's something I'll tell you um, when we go off mic here because I told it in a previous episode and I don't want to you know rehash it for the audience. But fair enough, yeah. but I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, and that's that's the thing is that people you have to wonder when you talk about you know we're making this better, we have this vision of a better future, and for just a couple days we make it right here right now. Yeah, I and think that's absolutely true. I, I mean, when it comes to the physical fitness test, I am not going to make it for Star Trek because I like my cheeseburgers. But it's like we that doesn't matter. We've got the basics down. Exactly. Exactly. That yeah. I I just love it. That's just where it all comes together. <laughs> so for the most part we have the situation now. We're not doing conventions in person. We're having a hard time doing them online in a lot of cases. Do you have any plans for the future that you can do? I'm I'm hoping so. I have mostly all been virtual and everything is getting pushed, everything is getting, you know, stretched out. So right now it's all virtual for me. I'm going to be doing Fort Collins Comic-Con. Um my that's my hometown in Colorado. They they invite me to to do conventions with them every year. So I'll be doing a virtual Fort Collins Comic-Con. I'll be doing a virtual Dragon Con. And then, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed next year for Vegas and the Star Trek cruise, which has already been pushed to 2022. Um, But yeah, I just, everyone needs to wear a mask and stay home and listen to scientists because we got to get back to our conventions. This Mm -hmm. is done. I'm done. I'm over this. I want to get Uh back. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's starting to feel like there's just, uh, we have a kill count of things that we wanted to do this year that are all falling. And yeah. Something, yeah. yeah, and and I'm not going to get into the conversation of how to how to deal with this and, and what the answer is, but I because I'm going to trust that what you said does matter. Wear your mask, stay at home, hope for the best, and listen to people. Yeah, yeah, listen to the experts. I did. It was so funny. I was doing okay the weekend that was supposed to be Star Trek Las Vegas. I thought I was doing okay, and then sort of Sunday night was when I broke, and I I literally just like got into my Star Trek uniform, got a Star Trek glass out, made like a Romulan ale and just sat <laughs> and watched the Star Trek episode. Because I just missed it. I just, I didn't really, I knew I was going to, but I didn't know how it was going to manifest. And the big one for me too is Dragon Con. That's, that's I think, the one mm-hmm. that's supposed to be in a couple weeks. I'm going to have a really hard time that weekend. That's going to be a rough weekend for me. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we'll make it through. We just got to listen to scientists. 
There's a video on my the YouTube section of this podcast on how I make Romulan ale. How do you make it? Nice. I um so my recipe is a uh, blue curacao vodka, um, lime soda, dash of lime. That's it. Okay. Yeah. For me, it's blue curacao, white rum, lemon lime soda, and exactly two shakes of Tabasco sauce. Ooh, nice. I will have to try that. Yeah, try that. Because what happens is that the liquor and the soda is so sweet, but you get that pepper in there that says, hello. (laughs) That's awesome. I do, actually, I did tweak my recipe that I did vodka and white rum. So I'm glad you mentioned white rum. So I did, I did add those. And then, yeah, when I say lime soda, I mean like lime soda water, like LaCroix. So it's not terribly sweet, but, um, but yeah, good recipe. I am going to have to try because it is, it's an alien drink, man, and it's supposed to mess you up. So you got to have that quirk of something else in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and here's the thing is that, you know, the alien drinks drive me crazy because they, by definition, have ingredients we can't get here. So you got to do work with what you have. Exactly. Exactly. One day I will perfect a Ractagino recipe. One day. <laughs> okay. Well, I am going to let you go because I have had a lot of fun here and I'd like to think we could do this again sometime soon. And I'd like to think even more maybe in person. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Glad to have you. Thank you so much. I would like to thank Dr. Aaron for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. Now, if you're getting this episode quite a while after it's released, it probably doesn't matter to you what day of the week it happens to be. But if you're used to getting my episodes right off the internet, then you're probably wondering why this is showing up on Sunday. As I said in the previous episode, from here on out, returning guests such as Dr. Aaron are going to have their own feed on Sunday, and this coming Thursday will be a new guest you haven't seen before. What I'm hoping is that this generates a lot more of the back and forth that I get when I start to get to know a guest very well. I hope we saw that with Dr. Aaron today, and I hope to see it when other guests come back in the future. For the community building part of the show today, I just want to talk about how I make community building tips. And again, a community building tip is something that costs you nothing and takes less than five minutes of your time. And why do I do these things? Why is it important to me that it costs you nothing and takes less than five minutes of your time? Quite honestly, I want to make it as easy as possible. Having my fans promote the show is the best possible way to help the podcast, so I want to make it easy for you, and I don't want to impose on you. If every single listener did the things that we're talking about that would take no effort and be something they could do in a hurry, this would be one of the most popular podcasts on planet Earth. So that's why I do it. Don't forget, you can subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, YouTube, and we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.